Hello, Les Raymond here with the Mindful Movement. Whether you are about to enjoy one of Sarah's beautiful meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to remind our community that the best way to support the Mindful Movement is to support the companies that make this happen. Sarah and I are very picky about the companies we choose to work with, and we are grateful to have the relationships we have and to share them with our listeners. You can learn more about our affiliates through our website by clicking on the Favorites tab. We are excited to have recently added Sunlighten as an affiliate. They make state-of-the-art infrared saunas, and their founder, Connie, came on for a recent interview if you would like to listen. Our Sunlighten sauna has been a family favorite for over a decade. Some of our most popular affiliates are the grounding mats from Ultimate Longevity, which we sleep on every night, and the Apollo Neuro, which Sarah is now wearing daily to help manage stress. When you support these brands, you in turn are supporting the mindful movement and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thank you for joining me today for another episode. Today, I had the chance to talk to James Nestor. James wrote the book, Breath. It is by far my favorite book about breathing. I've read or listened to several books about breathing as breath work is kind of the cornerstone of my lifestyle. And this is just by far the most enjoyable and most informative. It is just such a well-delivered message. If you haven't read the book yet, I highly recommend you check it out. In the meantime, please enjoy this conversation. All right, everybody, I have James Nestor here, author of the book Breath, my most favorite book of breathing I've ever read. I'm stoked that you're here. Thank you very much for taking the time. Please say hello to the Mindful Movement audience. Hello, everybody, and thanks a lot for having me. All right, it's really an honor to have you. Um, I, I've been into breath work for a long time and has had uh, just a tremendous like role in my life. And I've read a bunch of books on it. None of them really captivated me the way the book Breath did. So I applaud you for just really your artistry in the way you composed it. And I think a big part of it was the juxtaposition of like all the science and the biology, physiology around breathing and the story you told that you went through on the journey of like discovery of, to learn these things. And I think it was just really well presented and made it really enjoyable to read. It was a page turner. So um, I applaud you for your work and I, I thank you for your contribution really to wellness in general. Oh, well, thank you very much for, for that. Really appreciate that. You, you know, as a journalist, you don't set out to, to reach one destination or another destination. You just go along this path and accumulate as much research as you can. You talk to everybody. You, talk, you do interviews and interviews and interviews for years and years and years. So at the end of my research process, which lasted several years, I just had all this information. I said, I have no idea what to do with this, <laughs> right? It's so disjointed. There's the science, there's the history. There's a little bit of a personal story. There's some personal anecdotes. There's some stories from people who aren't scientists or researchers. And so that was the difficult part of this process is how do you put all that together into something that people might want to read because just like you, I had read so many breathing books. They were either how, how to breathe, which is great. Those, yeah. those are very helpful 400 ways of how to breathe. But to me, the real story was why you want to do this, uh, what it is, where it comes from and, and understanding that depth allows you to understand the subject and appreciate this most basic biological function a little more. Yeah, that's awesome. At the mindful movement here, we're always kind of preaching, I guess uh, trying to like empower people to play a bigger role in their own like sense of well-being or whatever like health means to them. And, you know, the cornerstone of that is really breathing. So like there's no better tool to use to like anchor on as like the foundation of your really like not just like health practices, but lifestyle, you know, 
The breath is the centerpiece at all where everything could build out from. And the fact that we all kind of carry this tool with us, it's just such a great place to start for most people when they're looking to take kind of more control over their life. I want to get more into the book, but reading a little bit about you, there's something that stood out to me I had to ask you about. And it was the fact that you drove a 78300D. Do you still? Still do. It's right out front. Yeah. Running like a charm. The reason I asked is I drove a 78300CD, uh, the two-door. The elusive coupe. Yeah, the those are very coupe. rare. Yeah. There was, I, and I was young. I was half my age. I was in my like early 20s. And uh, I don't know, about an 80-year-old woman up a couple towns away was getting rid of one and um, navy blue, and it was just a very unique vehicle, especially for my age group. It was kind of silly for a guy at that age where I live driving one. Now, where do you live that, uh, do you have to deal with cold winters where it's really weird to start? I live in San Francisco. So uh, the the coldest winter here is in summertime. A lot of people don't believe that, but Hmm. come on out here in July to see how you like it. So it never gets that cold. It never really freezes. But, you know, having driven these cars for over 10 years, I know exactly the right way of just turning the key in just the right way to get it to start, put your foot on the accelerator just the right way. So you know how it is with old cars, they're delicate beasts and you have to handle them in a very specific way. And that's what I like about it. You you have this connection with this with this mechanism, right? And it knows you and you know it. And it's a relationship. It. <laughs> Absolutely it is. Sometimes that relationship goes awry right. too, but uh, you know, I stick with it. And, and I bought my car off of a 90 year old woman oh, who had right. bought it new and had the receipt in the glove box. So oh, that, cool. that's a great thing about these cars. Yeah, I remember you had to, I guess, start the glow plugs. So like you turned to halfway. And in the winter, I was, I'm East Coast, Maryland. So we get like legitimate winters. And um, like you'd sit there and wait for a minute to the light to go off so that you could start the car. And my friends thought I was nuts. Yeah, and, and people think, they're like, why are you taking so long? It's like, let, let's go. What, what's the problem here? But, uh, you know, to me that nowadays, I just take it as a moment, breathe a bit, sort of lock in to what I'm doing that day, just have a... Uh, a moment to pause. Gotcha. So the book you wrote kind of uncovered so many different aspects of not just breathing, but kind of like human development and the history and where things have gone wrong. And then interestingly, like rediscovering things that we already knew about that got like buried along the way. It's kind of an interesting, um, it sounds like there was a lot of like ups and downs and twists and turns along that way. Were there any things that like stood out to you as parts of the process itself that you really enjoyed or got a lot of value personally out of? I think everything was a surprise. So in nonfiction, you submit a proposal and that proposal gets bought by a publisher and then they give you this little modicum of cash to go out and write it. So I thought I had this subject figured out, submitted 60 page proposal. I said, oh, this book's gonna be easy. It's gonna take me a year, no problem. It wasn't until I really started getting into the research that I realized the real story was like seven or eight layers deep. It wasn't in those first two or three layers. And where things really cracked open for me is when people kept referring me to dentists. I was like, what the hell did dentists know about breathing? Like they're dealing with teeth and cavities and, you know, braces and orthodontics and, and, I, I discovered that there's this whole new, it's actually not new, but this whole population of dentists who, who spends more time in a mouth than, than anyone else that dentist does. So they're looking at how different ways of forming the mouth and straightening teeth might impact our ability to breathe. And some of these dentists have even gone back into the skeletal record hundreds of years and discovered that our ancestors, they all had straight teeth. Okay. Modern humans, 90% of us have crooked teeth. What the hell happened? This didn't happen by accident. So that led me on this wild goose chase that, that lasted for years and years trying to figure out how have humans disevolved? How are we evolving to get, to get worse? How is our health becoming worse? That's not how evolution's supposed to work, but, um, 
So, you know, you start a book about breathing before you know it, you're hanging out with biological anthropologists looking at ancient skulls. And that's just, you know, day in the life of, of working on a book. Uh, right. So to answer your questions, there were so many unexpected things just over and over and over again, um, which was also thrilling. There was so much I didn't know and that I thought other people may not have heard of as well. Yes, yeah, so it sounds like you found yourself at one point, if I recall, and I, it's been about a year since I, I read it, so I have to apologize, but uh, in the, you were in the presence of a lot of skulls, which Looking must have been kind of a surreal <laughs> yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, uh, things have taken a, a turn for the strange in your work life when you're hanging out in museums and looking at just hundreds of ancient human skulls and having them all smile back at you with straight teeth. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I said, whoa, what, what has happened? They have these huge nasal apertures, huge sinuses. And before I was able to get into labs, I actually looked at a bunch of skulls down uh, below the streets of Paris, down in the, the Parisian quarries where there are 6 million skeletons down there and so was looking at skulls there and this was all to better understand what we used to be what we used to look like how we used to breathe and how that has changed because i was stunned to learn from researchers that around 90 percent of us suffer from some sort of chronic respiratory issue what the what are you talking about then you look at the people with asthma snoring sleep apnea chronic sinusitis, on and on. He said, whoa, okay, Everybody. I guess that that is true. So, so what has happened? And the whole point of discovering what has happened to us is to establish better habits in the future. How do we fix it? We can only fix it once we know what the real core problem is. Yeah, and you know, the, the face structure thing is an interesting component because even if you get over the hump of, okay, I need to breathe through my nose, as opposed to my mouth, learning about how we've really changed the structure of the skeleton itself, it's it's kind of disheartening in a way. Like, is this is there a road, is there a roadmap back to fix this? Because you hear about these stories of the the skulls that are discovered, whether it's you know, you on your journey or Weston Price, whatever. And you know, they didn't even have oral hygiene. Like they had these great teeth without the floss, without the toothbrushes, without the toothpaste. So clearly it's, it's, there's some behavioral changes that have led to this along the way. And when you look around, it doesn't look like there's um, signs other than, you know, books like yours that give us hope that uh, we could correct this. I mean, on an individual level, people could learn and work on themselves and see one of these dentists, but it's definitely not accessible for the masses, it seems, especially if you don't even have the education that it's a thing to be aware of. Um, like, where does this head, where does it lead to? I, I actually disagree with that. Uh, oh, okay. I think it's absolutely, once you have the knowledge of this, you are empowered to provoke positive change in yourself and within the people, within your family and with people around you. So the great thing about breathing and about so much of the stuff I'm writing about is it's free right? Yeah. Um, you don't need to go to the store. You don't need to go on Amazon. This is something that we carry around with us all day long for our entire lives. And you can focus on that and improve it. And when you do, the research has been very clear. You can improve your health on so many different levels, mental health, physical health, and more. So I think when you, when you look at, so what, what has actually happened to humans? So the further that we've moved away from nature, the sicker we've become. And this is true with nutrition. This is true with exercise. This is true with breathing. So if you think about what are all the ways that we're fixing our nutrition now, right? We've got hundreds of different supplements. We've got diet plans. We've got people counting how much vitamin C do I have? How much vitamin D do I have? How much K2 do I have? Uh, how do I have enough B12? Is that why I don't have energy? Our ancestors never needed to do any of this. It's because we're so divorced from the way we used to eat that we now need to calculate exactly what we need to eat today to mimic the diet that our ancestors had hundreds of years ago. So it's fascinating if you look at all of these fixes for health, one of them is to eat whole foods. 
Duh. Okay. Another is, why don't you walk 10,000 steps a day? We have to be told to walk 10,000 steps a day, whereas our ancestors didn't have to be told. This is what they did in their day-to-day life. So breathing fits right into this as well. We have to recondition ourselves to breathe the way we were meant to breathe, to breathe the way that our bodies evolved to breathe. And we have become so divorced from it that few of us are breathing properly at all. And we're suffering all the consequences from that. So the key is really, to, and, and you can see this, by the way, in hunter-gatherer tribes, the few that are left, um, they don't have high blood pressure. They don't have asthma. They don't have allergies. They don't have breathing problems. And they don't have dentists or doctors either, right? But they live in an environment in which they are very close to nature and doing what their bodies are naturally designed to do. Right. Yeah, well said. Um, and you can see it in, in all aspects of our health, you know, not just, you know, just like we're sitting in chairs now and like you have to go out of your way. It's an uphill battle to kind of fight the good fight, you know, to, to go against that grain of where the momentum of society is going. You have to dedicate time to go to the gym because you're not out and about for eight, 10 hours a day gathering or hunting. You got to like make up for it. Um, maybe with more intensity. Breathing's nice though, because you could drip it in. Like you could have your dedicated session. You could sit on a cushion. You could go to a class, but you could also just sneak it in anytime, anywhere that you have the awareness to pay attention to your breath. And uh, it controls so much. That's right. I think that, you know, breathing and meditation have been cloaked in this whole idea that you have to spend a lot of effort. You have to get a Buddha statue. You have to get a separate room that has blackout shades on it. You have to sit on the specific cushion and look at a wall in this certain way and wear these certain meditation yoga clothes and listen to this certain music. It doesn't really need to work that way. That is a a great example of how modern Westerners have codified all of this uh, ancient wisdom. So, you know, meditation, most of the the vast majority of the benefits of meditation at the beginning come from breathing. I don't know any meditation that has you just breathe any way you want. You just sit there and mouth breathe and, you know, look, look at the Buddha and, and meditate. So every meditation is focus on your breath slow your breath down. So you can meditate if you want, but just focusing on your breath, just slowing your breath down and getting that rhythm has a profound effect on your body. So it doesn't need to be fancy. Uh, You can breathe better while you're walking to the supermarket. You can breathe better while you're sitting on a Zoom call. You can breathe better while you're watching Netflix. I mean, whatever. And when you do that, you are increasing the efficiency of your body and everything comes into balance. And, and anyone can see this with just taking a few simple measurements, looking at what happens to your blood pressure, your heart rate variability and more. Yeah. Or even just like your perceived mood, like before and after of, you know, if you're feeling racy or anxiety or anxious, and then, you know, you spend a few minutes and just, well, how do I feel now? You know, you know, it's, you could qualify it internally fairly simply if you have, uh, you know, the willingness to just observe the self a little bit. Yeah, that's, I I think that that's right. And another great thing about breathing is it's instantaneous, right? When you change your diet, you're going to, you might feel that in a few days, but you'll really feel it in a few weeks. When you start exercising, you'll probably see the effects of that after a couple weeks, maybe. But with breathing, you can take a few moments to relax, breathe in a slow rhythmic pattern. You're like, wow, whoa, that really works. And it's not just a placebo effect or psychosomatic. It is affecting your body because every cell in your body, healthy cell is needs that oxygen, how you get that oxygen, how efficiently you're able to process that oxygen uh, matters so much to our health and happiness and longevity. Yeah, for sure. So we, in this podcast, we have talked about breath and different styles along the way. Are there, in, in your book, you reference several different, uh, I don't want to say modalities, it's all breathing, but different styles, different traditions, I guess, um, whether it be Boteco or um, different yogic practices. Are there 
like, do you find yourself gravitating to certain styles that resonate with you that you, you like lean on as like a, like a daily staple? All of those different breathing styles are just variations on the same themes. And that's what I found when I really started looking into these things. You've got pranayamas, you've got qigong, you've got buteko, you've got papworth, you've got Wim Hof method. But if you really break them all down, which is what I did um, on various sheets of paper, they're all having you generally do the same things, which is you hold your breath intermittently, okay? or you breathe very slowly, or you breathe very heavily. And by doing those things, it's almost like interval training, right? You're conditioning your lungs, you're conditioning your respiratory system. You're either reducing stress or you're purposely increasing stress so that when other stresses come into your life, you know how to deal with them. So that's how I broke down the chapters in the book is, you know, there's breathing slow, exhaling, uh, holding your breath, breathing too much on occasion, breathing very slowly. And you can call it whatever you want. You can go across various cultures. They all have their separate names for it, which is why it's so confusing for yeah. people. But they're doing the same thing. So it depends what, what you want out of it. It starts with that foundation of breathing, right? breathing slowly, breathing through your nose. And then you can take this to the next level, just like the Wim Hof stuff. You want to breathe to heat up your body? We know how to do that. You want to yeah, breathe to heal your body of chronic chronic issues? We know how to do that as well. That's great. Yeah, I find myself, I guess, kind of based on uh, the time of day, will usually determine like what I'm leaning on, whether I want to prepare for exercise or just chill. Usually I just want to chill out more. I think most people just need to chill out more. There are some people that, uh, I don't know, like could use more energy, but I find most people are just like overly stressed. It's rare that you find someone that just needs more stress. Um, and I mean, I know they're out there, but I, I think it's probably, Less than average. It might depend on, you know, what time of day or whatever. But I find myself really relying on bringing my attention to breathing to just to calm down because there's, you know, just so much, you know, bombardment of information and things to think about and busyness. That's what I find. The majority of people, the vast majority, who do this heavy, quote unquote, stressful Wim Hof breathing or, or vigorous pranayamas, right. they're doing it to reduce stress. So what, what this does is you compound your stress to a very short amount of time in the day, right? To 20 minutes so that the rest of the day, you're completely chill. Your blood pressure's down. Your body's chill. Your mind is chill. So some people don't need that, that burst of stress. Some people are already naturally chill and that's great. They can just breathe more slowly, right? That's what a lot of yogis do. But I've found in, in the modern, modern age, having that, that closed period of hermesis, uh, hermetic stress is very beneficial. Uh, that's why it works so good for people with autoimmune diseases who have been suffering from this chronic low-grade inflammation and stress, right? That's why it works for so many people with anxiety as well. So I think that they're just different ways of accomplishing the same goal. We want to be balanced. We want to be mellow. But how do you do that, right? What's the best way for you for accomplishing that? So I'm a big fan of these vigorous breathing practices. Uh, they've changed my life. And they've changed the lives of, of millions and millions of other people. Yeah. All you need to do is, is look at people who've done Wim Hof, who've had these chronic psoriasis and eczema and all these awful autoimmune diseases that no longer have inflammatory markers. You know, yeah, that's the, what led me to try Wim Hof. Originally, it was trying to fix eczema. And, uh, yeah. and that in itself didn't do it, but it definitely helped me in many ways. I, and I love that practice or variations of it. I do find myself, I can get carried away and do that too much. And it's like, it's kind of like lifting heavy at the gym. Like you want to do it, but as you get older, you just can't lift heavy every day. So I find myself dripping it in, you know, a couple, couple sets a week kind of thing, instead of a daily practice, at least for me. 
And then, um, you know, lots of more, I don't know, maybe subtle, what I feel to be more nourishing practices, but it's all good. I think what's great is we have all these different things we can try. And now with the flow of information and books like yours, it's easier for people to learn about these things and then play around. The benefits are really in just practicing, you know, taking time to practice. And, um, and then like the benefits just happen. Uh, what's that? Yeah, and they're, they're measurable as well. And that, that's what I really like about this stuff is, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, how do you feel? Oh, I feel better. Okay, well, that must work. It's another thing to go into a lab and measure exactly what's happening to your body and to the bodies of hundreds of other people along with a control group. And, and so there's such a huge foundation of the benefits of healthy breathing. No one's really arguing this anymore. And it's right. fascinating to see so many more of these studies coming out. Now, in the age of COVID, you've got these people with long haul COVID, their lungs are destroyed. No one's been looking at how they've been breathing. And so there's a whole group of researchers now just focusing on breathing, breathing oh, nice. practices for these people. So I, I don't know if this would have happened 10 years ago. I just think, unfortunately, it took a pandemic that affects the respiratory system to really get us conscious of this simple, you know, but very important biological function. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That would be great if something could be uncovered and then communicated well to help those folks. Cause you know, there's, I guess numbers are pretty high now. How many people are gonna be dealing with some kind of lingering issues? It's happening right now. There's a organization called Stasis, which is run out of, I think it's Cincinnati hospital. I'm probably getting that wrong. Um, but uh, there's a whole group of, of researchers. There's a big article in the Atlantic about long haul COVID, how these researchers kept noticing, they're like, what do all these people have in common who are suffering from this? Their breathing is completely out of sync. It is completely messed up. And by improving that breathing, they're hoping to help restore the health of these people. And that also, um, what also helps is nitric oxide, this amazing molecule that we release six times more of in, in our nasal passages. Another reason you should be breathing through your nose. Yeah, we've talked about that here before. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It just makes me wonder like how much that could have moved the needle on a population level if everybody was just breathing better going into this thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not very good for the uh, economy considering 25% of the US population is tied to, to healthcare in, in some capacity. Yeah. And th this is not my opinion, by the way, this is the opinion of almost every single researcher I, I talk to. So the second where people start eating well, they start breathing well, they start exercising, we're going to have a absolute recession here in this country because <laughs> if, if you look if well this is economics again i want to be clear this this is not my opinion it's simple economics you've got so much of the society tied into be, people being unhealthy yeah, and unfortunate that's that's the reality but you don't need to fall into that that gap we have a choice now yeah. um there's other ways of getting information and there's other ways to empower yourself and empower your health so it's it's really up to the individual now to, to take charge of stuff so uh you know you mentioned you found yourself talking to a lot of dentists along the way in my journey and i think you referenced something similar not that you hit like a dead end but like you get to a point where it's like oh there's an architectural thing now that needs to be addressed so like you uh, well, first of all, you speaking of like the look at the labs, I mean, you became a lab rat, it sounds like in this process and had to do something that must have been just, I can't even imagine when you're describing it of forcing yourself to be a mouth breather for a couple weeks, I think, which um, must have been misery, must have been some kind of like low level torture. Yeah, or, or high level torture. Um, <laughs> I never, I never intended to do this. So that's the important thing with with this book. I know it's hard for people to believe this. Um, but I never intended to be any part of this book. I wanted to be on the outside, totally objective observer looking into this world. But I kept getting confronted with situations where I either saw gaps in the research, no one else had done anything, or there were specific incidences in which 
my story I thought would contribute to people better understanding their chronic respiratory issues. So, um, and I mentioned all that, that whole caveat, because when I was going down to Stanford, I'm in San Francisco, it's very, very close to, to Stanford, and which is amazing because they have an incredible medical library and so many amazing researchers there as well. But I got to know Dr. Jack Arnayak, who's like the, the top dude in this field, right? The chief of rhinology research at Stanford. And he knew all of the problems associated with mouth breathing, all the benefits of nasal breathing, but he, he hadn't tested it. I said, well, how soon do those problems associated with mouth breathing come on? And uh, nobody knew. So that's how I ended up. That's what led to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I said, well, why don't you test it? You're at Stanford. And uh, he's like, I don't have money to do that. So we had to pay for it, uh, which sucked which was really expensive, but it was 10 days of mouth breathing versus 10 days of nasal breathing. And we collected data three times a day to see what was happening to our brains and bodies. And it sounds like you had a pretty charismatic uh, partner in, in this process. Uh, gentlemen, I forget his name. Again, it's been a while okay. since I read the book. Yeah. Yeah. If you could maybe remind me where he's from. I think he was from the um, Scandinavian. Okay, Sweden. Yeah. yeah. Was that so, you? On the, so I listened to on Audible. Was that you doing his accent? Yes, that's great. <laughs> I, I hung out with him. This this guy is amazing. Talk about someone who talks the talk and walks the walk. So I had gotten to know Anders Olsen. He's a leading breathing therapist in Sweden. What distinguished him from other breathing therapists that I thought was that he was really into the science of this stuff. He was into documenting data. He was doing his own studies. He'd been doing this for over a decade. And his story is very interesting. Very successful business guy in computers, right? Quit it all um, to study breathing. He's like, this is a global uh, need to do this. Nobody's breathing well. So I talked to him and I said, yeah, you know, I just signed up for this thing at Stanford. It would be really helpful if there was one other person. N1 studies, you know, that's that's helpful. But having two people really makes a difference. And he flew out here on his own dime, rented an apartment across the street from me for a month in San Francisco to have his nose plugged with silicone, you, you know. Um, so he, he really showed up. Uh, amazing guy. And our data was a parallel on on almost every metric we were just the same which to me convinced me that this is what mouth breathing is doing we we know so much of the science supports this anyway but um it's another thing entirely to experience this stuff for yourself which is what we did oh that's great and uh, you know the job you did on the narration was outstanding again it it, it lends itself to a really an enjoyable listen it's one that I, I'm glad I listened to and didn't, you know, read a, a book book because, uh, I mean, you did a great job and it made it um, entertaining. You know, I really felt captivated by it. And that's just not typical with books about breathing. They're not captivating generally. They're interesting, but they're not captivating. Well, I have to explain very quick little side note about the recording of that book. So I was slated to go to a fancy studio in San Francisco with like mood lighting and probably really good drinks in the fridge and free lunches and all that. The pandemic hit, everything shut down. So I had to record that in a shed in my backyard surrounded by moving blankets with this microphone and one teeny little bare light bulb. So if you hear a dog barking in the background or a trash truck, um, that's why. <laughs> so that's it was so sketchy, uh, but I'm glad it turned out okay. I have not listened to it. I can never listen to stuff like that. But, uh, you know, if you liked it, that that's great. I thought it was great. You know, it's on our channel. You know, the bulk of our channel is my wife's guided meditations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's about a hundred thousand people around the world every day that listen to them uh, mm. every day. It's really, we have some reach. And if they saw the room that she recorded them, I mean, we took a, <laughs> the closet of the guest room and converted it. It's got blankets on the wall, pillows on the ground, a little mic. I mean, there's barely room for a tiny chair to sit in. And, um, and from that closet, you know, it changes lives around the world. It's, it's awesome. There's something about technology that can be this great accelerator, you know, for good and bad in that way. 
So Good. that's cool. I'm, I'm glad you had access to the shed. <laughs> <laughs> that's great to hear. And it's comforting because I'm sure people expect her to be in some mansion in Costa Rica yeah, with right. the sunlight. Instead, she's in a closet. And not a, we're not talking a walk-in closet here either. No. So like, have you ever, like in this process, just because I guess like the nature of breath work and how it is meditative. And there's a reason that meditations use breathing as like an anchor, as like a portal into the present moment or um, has it, did you ever find yourself in learn while learning and practicing these have any kind of like shift in like outlook, maybe bigger picture? Um, maybe did it become like a spiritual process for you? Like maybe change the way you look at the world, meaning of life, stuff like that? Did it have like a profound personal effect that way? It still does all, all the time. I'm not talking about just nasal breathing or breathing slowly or breathing rhythmically. I'm talking about doing 20 minutes of focused kundalini breath work or Sudarshan Kriya, or even Wim Hof method, all of those have a very profound effect on me, uh, physically and mentally. I don't get into this in the book. I was not going to write a memoir mm. about how I've been changed and all that stuff. I wanted this to be about the reader, not about me at all. So, uh, you know, what's, what's interesting is these breathing techniques were designed to do this, to, to bump you up on the next level of consciousness. This is what yoga was. This is what meditation is. That's what it's designed to do. That it also helps your body, that it helps your cardiorespiratory system, that it helps your, your blood pressure, that it, that it uh, helps so many other things. Are, those are just the fringe benefits, right? So, um, you know, this morning I do my, my Kundalini breathing, uh, it's very vigorous, very intense, and it just sets the path for the day. And I think if I did not have that to lean on either doing it in the morning or at night, I don't think I would be able to, to keep up with the amount of, of stuff I've been doing. My life has been so stressful the last year and it, it's just been like trying to keep your head above water and that's the thing i rely on to reset things and keep keep everything in focus nice you alluded to something i don't know if i recognized a moment ago when you were listing those off i don't know if i'm saying this right sudarshan kriya is that yeah mm -hmm. can you describe what that is I'm not familiar sure. it's another variation on the same theme um yeah. it, it's no coincidence that it is so similar to Wim Hof method and it's so similar to Kundalini breathing and it's so similar to some practices of Qigong. Um, what this is, is it was, uh, I'll say developed, even though this breathing system has been around for thousands and thousands of years. Who made it famous was this guy Sri Sri Ravi Shankar in the 1980s. And he has this whole global nonprofit called The Art of Living, something like 80 oh, yeah. Okay. okay, so like okay. like 80 million people do this. It's it's enormous. And if you look at the science, 100 independent studies, some of these studies conducted at top institutions like Harvard, have found that it has a profound effect on people, on their mental health, on their physical health as well. That's what's convincing about it to, to me as a science journalist. It's not just how you feel afterwards, but knowing that this stuff is measurable. So the whole Sudarshan Kriya process, this is what really got me interested in the potential of breathing. When I did this for like the, one of the early times I did it, and this was over 10 years ago, and I just started sweating. This is, I'm sitting in a corner of a cold room, breathing in this rhythmic pattern, and I'm just pouring sweat, unlike anything I've ever experienced. I said, wow. Wow, that was weird. Um, so it got me interested in where else can breathing take us. And so whenever I do this, it's about 40 minutes. It's very intense. It's very hard breathing, very fast breathing, and then slow breathing to no breathing at all. And then hard breathing, fast breathing, no breathing at all. Very similar to Wim Hof method. Um, and uh, it's a fantastic thing. And, and it's uh, really expanded my my own horizons of what i can do with breath for my own body and i know it's affected millions of other people as well nice i'm intrigued um 
so I think I was getting to earlier, you know, you, you get to a point where you, you end up on a dentist chair and I went through this recently and, you know, I'm in love with breathing and he takes the image and he shows me like, you're jacked up like everybody else, like, uh, welcome to America. All your bones are screwed up in your face. Everything's out of place. And uh, to fix this, this, that, and the other, this has to come forward. This has to get wider, you know, tongue posture here. And I guess it makes me wonder, like, I know I'm not alone. Like that's a function of what you were referring to earlier as we're disconnected from nature. So, you know, it's affected our, our jaws, the way we breathe and so forth. And even like the bone density and I guess our mid face. And, you know, once the architecture changes, is that like a limitation of the function? Cause in general, like the form kind of follows the function, you know, and once the form has really been altered um, from behaviors, like can it really function the same way? Is that a necessary step? So do you think that if you have, you know, because your parents didn't know this stuff and they, they gave you the soft food when you were little and you grew up on the standard American diet of, you know, Cheerios and whatever, is that like a, a barrier that you need to address to make continued progress? Do you feel like you could just continue to breath, practicing the breathing styles and continue to get benefits? Or do you get to a point where you gotta fix the jaw, you gotta go with the dental apparatuses and so forth? Do you have anything to say or about your experience with that or? Yeah, so I think what you experienced is what the vast, vast majority of people living today will have experience if they go in and get their faces scanned we're all hosed so our faces are completely messed up tragically so so if you look at these cat scans and x-rays we have smaller nasal cavities we have smaller nasal apertures our mouths are too small no controversy about this you can compare your skull with the skull 300 400 years ago and it, it's very good chance it'll be vastly, vastly different. So it comes down to what level of messed up are we? Some people need surgery. Some people need all of this stuff. Some people need to have their jaws pulled forward and all that. A lot of people don't. Um, but a qualified dentist or an ENT will be able to tell you. And the idea that so many people are rushed into surgery, I think is a problem. And this is what I've heard from a lot of researchers as well. And ENT, when you come in and say you have breathing issues, uh, many ENTs, not, not all of them, I, I'll, I'll say a few ENTs, uh, I won't make that a majority, but they'll say, oh, look, you have a deviated septum, we need to get you into surgery right now. 75% of the population has a septum that is clearly deviated to the naked human eye. So, so that is not a good excuse. We have to deal and work with what we have been given. And so what the vast majority of these top researchers have said is you start slow. You start with the things that are free. You start with habits. You start with tongue posture. You start by using a neti pot. Start by breathing out of your nose more often. So very simple things. That's not to say some people don't need surgery. They absolutely do. But there are gradations of severity as far as the anatomical changes or the anatomical need to, to turn our faces back to the way that they were supposed to have been. So it's you can't give a blanket diagnosis to everybody, even though that's what people want. Everyone's different. So and everyone will need to be treated in a slightly different way. Yeah, and that's kind of my question because I found myself in that dentist chair with the the expert in that field telling me you need this, that, and the other. And I'm just wondering, well, how far can I get without that? And is that good enough? Do I want like good enough to be the enemy of perfect? Or I don't know how do you say that other way around, maybe. And um, because it's it's not just expensive, it's um it's invasive. I mean, you gotta wear stuff inside your mouth. And I remember as like a teenager, 
having contraptions in your mouth. It's not something enjoyable. And, uh, you, you know, and you're in your forties, you don't see yourself going back to those practices. Uh, at the same time, like, I'm always curious, like, hmm, how far can I take my sense of well-being, my health, you know? I think what does optimal be, mean? I think you'd be pretty amazed what the human body can do, put in the right environment, how the human body is designed to heal itself. So again, I don't know your situation. I don't know this dentist. I am not qualified, nor will I ever consult on anyone's need to get surgery or not. That's right. not my jam. That's not what I do. But it wouldn't hurt to get another opinion. And it wouldn't hurt to talk to a myofunctional therapist to see how much you can progress without surgery at the beginning. Like I said, maybe you need surgery. Who knows? But, but why not start slowly? See what your own natural body can do for itself. And then bump it up to surgery if you have no luck, you know, after a few months or, or even a year. Gotcha. Yeah, I think when I was in there, I don't think surgery was mentioned, but just, I guess, just like contraptions of some sort, apparatuses. But, um, and, you know, you show you, they do a good job trying to convince you with the images. But, you know, when you don't know, you don't know. It's interesting. Maybe I will get a second opinion. But, well, I mean, I'm sure that there's more room to grow just from the things that I'm walking around with. And I think, you know, that's the message we try to get across too that like you say this is free and everybody's got a tool to make a lot of progress with before you need more extreme measures well i'm sure your, your dentist is great i don't know who your dentist is but um how much money does a dentist make from having you breathe properly and establish proper oral posture and do some oral pharyngeal exercises which have been shown to significantly cut on snoring cut down on snoring and sleep apnea some forms of sleep apnea how much do they get from that? All right, yeah. Zero. Yeah, we had a chiropractor here. How much here. do they get from six different right. devices you're going to be sold? I mean, quite, quite a bit out yeah. there. And this is what is very frustrating living in this modern world in the States right now is you always feel someone's always trying to sell you something, which is fine if you need that thing. Yeah, sure. Do you need it? Uh, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not going to weigh in on that, but right. just something to consider. Yeah, we had a, a chiropractor a few, uh, maybe a couple months back, I think uh, also California, Adam Fields. Um, and I guess his content he puts out is basically little short exercise videos that are all like above the neck, all related to steep apnea, snoring, getting better tongue posture and breathing. And it's so useful and, to you know, free. Um, and, you know, maybe like five to 15 minute videos. So it's like the perfect dose to just try to get one in every day. Or I'll do them when I'm like sitting in the sauna and I just want to multitask a little bit. And uh, Adam Fields, I'll Adam check Field. him out. Yeah, check him out. Uh, nicest guy. We'll probably back, have him back on sometime. And um, just really useful content. I was really grateful to, I don't know how I stumbled upon his work, but just little bite size you know, do this for your face today. And, and you always feel better after. It's always like a positive effect, it seems. Um, well, so getting back to the book a little bit, there's something that, um, you know, I guess your field, I don't know if it's like, there's just not many of you left. Journalism in general seems to have kind of shifted what it means. And there's maybe less journalism, real journalism uh, left. But the, this form that where you really, I guess you call yourself a scientific journalism, where you're diving into science for a good amount of time before you write on it, there's more than just um, like a curiosity that comes with it. There's like, a, like you display in the book, I think, I don't know if it's like a courage or a bold, like a boldness to kind of take it pretty far. And to go deeper than just some surface level, let me learn a bit, a little bit, just so I could, you know, write something down for people. There's clearly, um, you know, a, a depth that you that you go through. Is there anything that like you attribute that to that quality, like people that have inspired you to look at life that way, or books that you read that that you think you developed that quality from? 
I think it's just being curious about stuff and loving my job. I mean, I'm able to wake up in the morning and be curious and to follow that down whatever rabbit hole it, it takes me, that curiosity takes me down. And 99% of what you're going to find, you're never going to use for anything. And a lot of people find that very frustrating. But to me, that's just part of the process, right? You want to find those little kernels of truth, the things that really interest you and truly understand them. So as a journalist, my role is to be objective. I have no skin in the game to believe one person's story and not believe another person's. I'm not selling any products, right? I'm just trying to understand the truth behind an issue. And there is so much smoke on both sides, on, on the medical establishment, pharmaceutical side, on, also on the new age, natural healing side. There's so much BS that it's really hard to find the truth behind this stuff. Um, but that's something I absolutely love to do. And I think you're right about journalism is, is dying uh, because you can't make a living doing it. Uh, you know, and this is something I know well about uh, being a magazine journalist and writing for newspapers and just barely scraping by, but not even scraping by. And I think this is one of the reasons that journalism is also becoming a, it's becoming a hobby for a lot of people. You think about all the different online sources like Huffington Post, right? They don't pay anything. <laughs> How are you supposed to pay rent or keep the lights on um, if you're not getting paid? So what, what I've found in journalism, this is just my own personal opinion, is a lot of people come into it having other sources of, of money. They have trust funds, they have a wealthy spouse, and that's how they, they get into this field now. Um, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What a wonderful thing to not have to rely on getting uh, begging your editor to give you a paycheck for a story you wrote six months ago so you can pay your car insurance, which is something I did for years and years. So uh, I think that's unfortunately the direction that, that journalism is going in. Um, but at the same time, there's people always want stories and they want the truth. And I, I really think that readers want all sides of a story. I don't think they just want to be shoveled the, the same thing over and over again. And that's supposed to be what journalism is, especially science journalism. You're looking at data. You're looking at things that can be measured. And that's the stuff that, that really fuels me. But what do you attribute like the dwindling of that industry? I mean, is it just because attention spans are getting shorter or you just like, you got to catch people in the first sentence kind of thing? No, I think it's economics. Um, I, 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 if that were the, the case, then why did book sales go up 20% last year, <laughs> right? There's only, only so many Netflix and, and so much Twitter you can, you can look at. Uh, people want long stories. They want to be taken into a world and held in that world and understand that world from the inside. And you can see that from what's happening in publishing. Who would have thought? Everyone thought books were dying 10 years ago. They said, oh, this is a dying industry. Not, not the case. And I think now more than ever, people want that deep dive. Why does Joe Rogan's four-hour interviews, why do 10 million people listen to these things? He goes into this very deep dive and takes his time, but he also knows what he's doing. So another reason, why do people listen to podcasts that are two hours long? Yeah. So I don't think that's it. I think it's the economics of it. There's just no magazines anymore. Very few magazines anymore. They pay crap. There's no newspapers anymore, except the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post. You know, um, if you can get in there, they'll pay okay. But is it enough to like support a family and to su support your mortgage? No. If you're a freelancer, it's just not. So, which is why a lot of people who write for these outlets, uh, they have other sources of income, and good for them. I think that that's that's an awesome thing to do for your time. But for those of us who do this as a job, if I don't write, I don't get paid. I don't have a house, right? I don't have electricity. It's become extremely precarious, uh, which, which is one of the reasons why uh, I just can't afford to write for magazines anymore. I would love to. I love that job so much. Yeah. But it's, you know, 
spending four months on an article that pays you in the four figures and living right. in San Francisco. Ooh, yeah. Good luck. Um, luckily, you know, I found books and this is where I'm going to stay. And it's, oh. it's been, it's been wonderful. So well, I got to say, I'm glad you were squeezed into it. I mean, it's really unfortunate, but um, you know, the world's a better place for you going down that dive that you did. And I think I don't speak for just for myself, saying there's a lot of people grateful that you, you know, delivered the message that you did the way you did. And you would, it sounds like you wouldn't have done that if you weren't squeezed out of this thing that you like writing for magazines and kind of forced down this path. I think, I think that's true because to me, the most adventurous lifestyle was to be sent out on these reporting assignments, right? Sent out all over the world to write about this stuff. And then you have two months and then you have to write it. And then what's your next assignment? It's constantly moving, right? It's always fresh. Every new assignment is with a different person. You're writing about a different subject. But uh, after a while, some of these subjects were so interesting. I said, oh, I'd love to stay in this world longer and not just understand it on a peripheral level for 5,000 words or 6,000 words, but, but 100,000 words where I can stay in this world for years and really understand the whole thing. And I learned from uh, a good friend and, and a great editor uh, at Outside Magazine, Alex Hurd, he said, a book isn't 10 separate chapters. Uh, it is one long magazine story. So the entire book is, he's like, that's how you have to think about it. It's one continuous story. It's not these separate silos. Once I thought about it that way, books came, became a lot more interesting. It's like, wow, what if I could write a magazine story that's 10 times longer than the stuff I've been right. delivering? And that's how I approach my books. Well, that raises a question. I mean, is there anything on your horizon that you think you want to dive into next or have you already started? Oh yeah, a lot, a lot of things. Got a couple new ideas. One has been percolating for, for years that is really coming to the fore right now. It's, it's funny, it's like some books, you pursue a subject and you go into it and you say, oh, this is gonna be great, I'm so excited. Other books, the subject finds you. you were, you're just sitting there and you're like, whoa, from all angles, I'm understanding this thing in a brand new way. And so that's what I'm falling into right now. It feels effortless because all of this stuff happens to be coming towards me. And I'm really excited about it. I just have zero time right now. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna wait a few months, reset. Uh, we're also trying to put together a uh, mini series right now based on oh, all this stuff. That would be cool. Oh, I look forward to that. Well, I want to respect your time. I know you have another appointment coming up. Again, I want to thank you so much. I'm really honored to have you on here, man. I've been looking forward to this. And I really appreciate you taking the time. I think our listeners will really get just a ton of value out of your book and we will encourage them to go check it out. It's breath. If anybody, is there anywhere to follow you individually anywhere that you'd like to share or if somebody wants to learn more about you? Sure. I'm on Instagram and luckily I just hired a social media manager. Yes. Nice. So I never have to look at that crap ever again. It's you. got a Mr. James Nestor is my handle. You can go to my website. There's free breathing exercises, free interviews awesome. with professors at Harvard and more. Um, the entire bibliography, all 400 studies is up there at Mr. James Nestor. That's mrjamesnestor.com. That's awesome. Well, thanks again. And for the listeners out there, I, of course, I'm grateful that you tuned in. I appreciate your listening and I hope you got value out of this. And we hope to uh, hear you again out there soon. Have a great day, everybody. Well, thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It was a real treat to talk to James face to face, even though it's via Zoom. Uh, it's just I've been waiting for that for a long time and I was really honored that he took the time to come chat with me and I'm really glad that you guys were able to listen in and hopefully you got some value out of it. Of course, if you think you know someone that would also appreciate that, please share the video with them. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do. Again, if you're wondering the best way to support the Mindful Movement, join our private membership. You'll get some extra content I think more importantly, you'll get access to the monthly live session with Sarah and I. We do some movement, we do some meditating, and it's just a fun time 
and it's nice to be able to do it together with people around the world at the same time, kind of in the same space. Uh, if you have any questions about this episode, please send them my way. And again, if you haven't checked out that book, I highly recommend it. I've been teaching movement for many years in a gym environment, and I could tell you the first thing we teach everybody is how to have a breath practice. We start every session with a breathing practice. It is really the cornerstone of everything we do. And if there, I always tell my clients, if there's one thing you get out of coming to our facility, it's to understand the value or at least to commit to practicing some breath practice on a regular basis. So if you haven't found a way to work it into your lifestyle yet, I just challenge you to dip your toe in that world of breath work and see what, what's there for you to discover. Again, thanks again for listening. I'm very grateful for the support and I appreciate any feedback. Please send any questions my way and if I can't answer them, I'll try to get James to chime in and do his best. Have a great day.